Geek Top 5 Quarantine Edition. Yay! It was time now. There was was all the time I needed. We're back with another week of fun, hard-hitting geek stuff that may or may not be exactly up to date. <laughs> well, we did miss quite a bit of time, so we're going to cover some some ground that we probably would have covered otherwise a long time ago. Yeah, more unfinished business. Now, that being said, it isn't entirely untimely. Uh, a few weeks ago at the start of April, we saw Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker release on DVD, Blu-ray, 4K. And in just a few days, it's going to be available on Disney Plus uh, on May 4th. Uh, For those of you listening at home, those are words that refer to the measurement of the linear flow of time, uh, which you may remember from before the dark times and the long, long ago. Uh, The other thing, you know, the other notable part about that uh, sentence, it's coming out on May 4th, and that has become the unofficial, or I guess now official, Star Wars holiday, so it's it's a good timing. It's a celebration. Long story short, if you wanted to watch Rise of Skywalker, you probably had the opportunity to do so recently or soon. Now, the question, of course, being, do you want to watch The Rise of Skywalker? And that brings us to the meat of today's episode. This is Geek Top 5's in-depth look at Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker, subtitle, What the Fuck is a Force Dyad? <laughs> so let's let's go back in time a little bit and talk about our thoughts on Force Awakens and Last Jedi, because both movies ended up being kind of controversial uh, amongst the hardcore Star Wars fans. Yeah, and let's be clear here. The, I mean, Star Wars fans have a reputation for being super toxic. Um, these are the people who sent death threats to Kelly Marie Tran because they thought it was silly that Rose didn't like the casino or something. Right. Um, they weren't wrong about Rose, uh, but the death threats are over the top. So we're going to try to handle this a wait, little wait, more wait, Hold on, hold that. on. What do you mean they weren't wrong about Rose? The whole casino arc was kind of silly. But, yeah, but it wasn't. It had no problem. Like there wasn't anything wrong with her or the the character. Like Rose is no. an interesting addition. No, they weren't wrong about her being silly about the casino. They were wrong about their reaction. Right. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So sequel trilogy, Star Wars: The Force Awakens. I mean, The Force Awakens. I think we both really liked. I mean, certainly it got some accusation of tre- treading on old ground. Uh, which I mean, is a tough call to criticize because that was sort of exactly what people were looking for. Um, and Last Jedi, I mean, we had a, a whole other deep dive episode devoted to that, and we both had just a, just a list of nitpicks as long as your arm. But in the end, I think we agreed that the it had higher highs and lower lows. Like the the good moments in that one really stood out. Yeah, and I, here's what I found in the year or two or three or however long it's been since we did Last Jedi. I find myself remembering Force Awakens more fondly and rewatching it and parts of it much more frequently than Last Jedi. I tried to watch it again before the before going to see Rise of Skywalker, and it's it's been a while since I've uh, I've I've been able to see see a whole movie in one sitting, or at least on my own. Like being able to do that frequently is is not happening for me. But I couldn't even get through this on multiple sittings. Like, I, I started Last Jedi, and then I got sidetracked with other stuff, and then I just never had much desire to go back and finish it. So I I don't feel like my opinion on it has changed much, but I just, for whatever reason, I'm not that interested in rewatching it. I definitely fast-forward parts of it, I will grant you that. Now, that being said, we've got a whole hour devoted to The Last Jedi you can pull out of our archives, and please do. Um, but that brings us to the rise of Skywalker, which it just right both as a conclusion to the sequel trilogy and apparently a conclusion to all nine movies, a wrap up for the whole Skywalker saga. It's sort of important to have that foundation before you get there. Yeah, I, I and on this rewatch of Rise of Skywalker, which is is I, I was able to sit through. It took me two nights, but I got through the whole thing, and which is more than I can say for Last Jedi. But I was definitely zoning in and out of it and uh, having a hard time caring about any of it, I found. Yeah, I think... Man, okay, like we're going we're gonna to hit a lot of points. But I think even at the time when it first came out, we both agreed that like, it was... It, it, I didn't feel like my time was wasted. It was funny and it was exciting and action-packed. But I don't think it... I think the biggest sin was that it was such a disappointment compared to what it promised. 
uh, when it came out and said that this is going to be like the end all be all of all Star Wars. I think what I said at the time was that like what what we were promised was Star Wars Return of the King. You know, with those four Frodo moments and the, like wrapping up every loose end. And what we got was kind of Star Wars Nine Fast, Nine Furious. And, and more than that, speaking of Fast and Furious, like it, it felt like there was a lot crammed in there. And, and especially at the beginning, I remember in theaters being like, this is going at a breakneck pace. I can barely tell what's going on or what anyone is doing or why. But I was like strapped in. I was I was enjoying the ride. But I guess now knowing where it all ends and knowing that so little of what comes before the ending even matters, it was really hard to really pay attention to it all. Another thing that occurred to me while I was watching was that I think I would feel better about the movie if it was standalone. Like, all the biggest problems I have with it are how it breaks from what came before, or how there are characters introduced who feel like they should have several movies worth of history for them, and yet this is the first time we're seeing them. Like, what is it, Zori Bliss? She's in, like, two scenes in the movie, and I feel like we're supposed to, like, her, her, there's a, a red herring, as there are so many times in this movie that she's being killed. And I, at, when it happens, I'm like, oh, oh, well. And then she comes back at the end of the movie, and I was like, oh, there she is. It's like there was no emotional stakes at all for so many of the characters in this movie. Yeah, not just the new characters either. My, my wife and I did the rewatch last week, and we were both saying it seems like everything in this movie was completely divorced from both like The Last Jedi and just from everything that came before. So many character behaviors and so many themes even. Yeah. Just, like, does no one else remember when Last Jedi ended on this... Like on the note, like the last scene of that movie was the kid in the horse kangaroo stable who we see is force sensitive, and he looks up to the, the stars with hope in his eyes. And there's this whole thing of like, well, the old, you know, the all the old Star Wars stuff is done, but there's this whole new world coming, and then yeah. all of that is immediately just vented out. It also feels like there's an implication there that you know anyone can be force sensitive you don't have to be part of these big families like it, it could be you it, you know there's hope everywhere around us and then this it comes all the way back to no it's all dynastic everything is tied to your lineage yeah so yeah i think as the you know as a takeaway i mean again it was fun and exciting and there are toys from this you know bait on the things from this movie that i want but none of it made any sense um, and for the people who are really invested in the Star Wars world, which is a lot of them, it's, you know, it spans a lot of media, uh, I think a lot of people felt let down. Okay, now, now I, we've fallen into a typical geek pitfall here of just spiraling on the negative, and I remember distinctly when you brought this up as a topic that you, you said we should try and focus on the positive, and I am 100% on board with that. So, well, at least I want to alternate. Okay, let's... Put it that way. Let's take a breather from, from all the negativity and, and look at some of the, the stuff in it that we did really enjoy. Yeah. Um, in my case, I know one of the big standouts for me in this is C-3PO. Anthony Daniels as C-3PO in this movie, almost every line out of his mouth was hilarious. I agree. I agree. There's a lot. He That was one of my notes. He has so much to do in this movie, I think more than at any other time in the franchise. And that's saying something for, like, one of two characters that's been in every movie. I mean, you think back to the first two, you know, two Star Wars in the 19th, like, the first third of that movie is basically revolves around him. Yeah, and even then, he's sort of uh, an afterthought. Like, when you think of that first movie, even though he's one of the first things you see in it, you you're, you think of a whole bunch of other stuff before you're like, oh yeah, there's also that gold droid. Yeah, but there's so much time, him running through the ship, him in the escape pod, him in the desert, being captured by the Jawas, being sold to the Skywalkers. Like, there's, you forget how much time is focused on him, but he's... I guess in a way he's sort of the audience's eyes into this world. Uh, whereas in this movie, it's I don't know if it's that C-3PO like got his groove or something, but he's sassy and just and knowledgeable and he has heart. 
I mean, he, and then he borders lines on a parody of the C-3PO we've known before, but it's it's close enough that I can accept that this is the same guy, and and it's I did enjoy it, and I'm not I'm trying not to nitpick, but I did, you know, it's it's not quite the C-3PO we know and love, but it's almost a better C-3PO. Yeah, I see. I can accept that as character development. Like, I get he wouldn't talk that way to, like, young Luke, but by by now, he's been around for, what, a hundred years. He's seen it all. Like, he's, you know, these idiots and their vests and their blaster pistols. He's seen this done already, and he's seen it done better. And he doesn't hold back with that sort of thing. Yeah. So, yeah, there's so there's a positive. 3PO was great. Now, alternating to the negative. <laughs> I thought we'd stick on the positive for a little while longer. You want well, we're going to go back and forth. Okay. But I can't talk about how great 3PO was without talking about how incredibly frustrating the plot point was about 3PO, like, being reset and giving up his memory. Where we have, like, we, we go to, like, two or three different planets for this, um, and we have this dramatic goodbye, and the whole, like, 3PO is essentially going to sacrifice himself for the cause. And then later they just bring him back. Well, how many how many fake outs are there in this movie as far as like they have these emotional moments and then it's a real in a lot of cases a real quick fake out and they're like, Oh no, that, that thing that you were sad about didn't matter. You don't be sad anymore. Yeah, the people dying on Kajimi, I'm Chewie dying and coming back, three PO getting wiped and coming back. There's there's nobody's coming to help. Oh, everybody's coming to help. Yeah. I mean the the other thing we get so much time with three PO, but his uh you know, his double act r2d2 gets really sidelined in favor of bb8 and the new dio and you know they're they're robots but they they've all got personality and uh r2 of the two droids was was a much bigger and more important player in the previous or in the original six movies especially the original three movies and in this trilogy like what does he do? He he wakes up at the end of Force Awakens, and I can't even think of a single other thing that he does that that has any impact on the story. Yeah, it took me several rewatches before I noticed that R two is in the Astromech slot and Poe's X wing for the final battle. Ah, and, it, and he talks to him occasionally, but you don't notice because it's not a whole thing. Yeah, he could have had a moment there, like a moment to shine. Anyway, it's weird getting worked up over uh, an inanimate object, but but he's got all this sass and personality in the other movies. Yeah, and I missed it. I missed it, and I didn't feel like the slot was really filled by other characters. And that's a shame, because I really like a lot of the other characters. And maybe that's we can cycle back to the positive now. The the lead three, I, I mean... They, I feel like they're playing slightly different characters every movie, but I enjoyed their performance in every movie. I kind of feel like Poe is the one that, that changes the most from movie to movie. He has the most extreme vacillations. Finn, you could... I, I can kind of see as him, like, growing from movie to movie. And Ray is, honestly, I find kind of static throughout the whole trilogy. But Finn is definitely the heart, I think. Yeah, on the whole, I think we could both point to places that they do it really well and places they do it really poorly. But in general, I'm really... Like, that that when you're a kid and you're watching Star Wars and you want to be out on an adventure with Luke and Han and Leia, I get that feeling again with Finn and Rey and Poe. Yeah. It's like, like, I want to be hanging out with those people like in that fantasy, right? And I think they... I think that's an important thing that was lacking from the prequel movies. Mm-hmm. Where, like, nobody wanted to hang out with you know, Mace Windu and Ki Mundi. Uh, you get a, a, some moments. There, there's like a couple of moments in two and uh, in three where you get like the bromance between Anakin and and Obi Wan. But even then, it's few and far between. It's not like the Luke and Han relationship. Yeah, and I didn't buy it. Like I wouldn't want to be there with them. No, but yeah. I, I, with these guys, I, I feel like with Finn and Poe, you definitely get that bromance, that vibe. They're buddies, and they they like. There was that general moment when when you know. Poe, for whatever reason, becomes a leader of the Resistance and then immediately makes Finn a general and they have this, like, general, general moment. And it's it's a great, sweet thing and it's, like, comic relief and you can tell they really like each other. The thing that holds me back a little bit is it doesn't... Throughout all three movies, I never feel like that relationship is earned. Like, the, the friendship between the three of them is there and they constantly show us that they're friends, but I never quite get why... 
they're friends. Yeah, it definitely seems to happen off camera, which is weird because the first two movies are essentially back to back. So there's nothing missing there. But I mean, how much time has passed since Last Jedi by the time this movie comes up? Like, you get the impression it's been months or years. Yeah, that's fair. Like a lot could have happened, but I never. I, I that's the other thing. Like the passage of time in these movies is really hard to to track. Like you could tell me that this that Rise of Skywalker took place over the course of three days, and I would buy it. Or you could say it took place over the course of a month, and I'd probably also buy it. Yeah, and again, like Last Jedi, they set an arbitrary timeline. Like it's a certain amount of hours until we basically until we have to finish the movie, and then nothing that happens seems to fit that timeline. Yeah, right? when like, we were talking about Last Jedi, we could, we pointed out like, well, how long was she training with Luke? Because it doesn't look like it could have been more than a couple of hours to fit into their thing. The place where they sort of lose that thread in this movie, I find, is the traveling between planets. In in A New Hope and Empire and Return of the Jedi, you get the sense that there's there are hours, days, weeks of t- travel time. Even at hyperspace, it takes a while to get from place to place. Here, it's like, oh, I'm jumping to the Sith planet. Oh, I'm back on Luke's planet. Oh, I'm well, here. Well, yeah, the opening action scene in this movie is he's light speed skipping or right. whatever. He, he just goes to five completely different planets instantaneously. So... Yeah, then I want to blame the sequel trilogy for this, but Rogue One did it too. They threw the rules of Star Wars out the window, and especially when it comes to how their technology works. Yeah, like 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 faster than light travel and shields and laser weapons. Like, there's no rules for it anymore. It just clearly whatever they, the writers need to happen in the scene happens. Well, I mean that's the thing with the Force. It's like that. This is it's why I don't like magic stuff that much because it's it's too easy and out for for how to solve a problem. You're just like magic a solution. And I feel like in the original trilogy. The Force had limits. There was only so much that you could do with it. And every movie, you learned a little bit more about it, but it was never extreme. Like, the biggest thing that they did with the Force was, like, what? The Emperor electrocuting Luke. But even or, that, it's like... Or you, lifting the X-Wing. Like, sure. Lifting the X-Wing took the head of the Jedi to do, right? Like, yeah. Was, and he's the, making a point that, like, you know, anyone can do it and don't judge a book by its cover and size matters not... But, but that's still the hardest thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then they up the ante in the prequel trilogies. Like, there's more that they're doing with the Force. And then the sequel trilogy, it's like, anything goes. And it's progressive. Like, from Force Awakens to Rise of Skywalker, the things that the Force can do just go through the roof. And it's like, it makes it really hard to care about anything. Because yeah. nothing gets solved with ingenuity. It's all, oh, the Emperor just forced a bunch of Star Destroyers into existence, right? That's what it seems like. I know in the background material, there's more explanation of that. But even beyond that, he just forced lighten, lightnings a, an entire fleet into, a, like, obliterates it. You know, why wasn't he doing that on the second Death Star? Yeah. Well, I mean, that brings us, I think, to the to the main course. Um, you know, there's where is what the hell is a Force dyad? The... Everything that happens in this movie, like all the key points, revolve around this this new concept that gets introduced in this movie and seems to directly contradict what they said in the last movie, that it was some sort of mind link that Snoke set up. Apparently, at some point, Kylo Ren learns that he and Rey are a dyad in the Force, a connection. And then when they get zapped by the Emperor, the Emperor says the bond between you two, a dyad in the Force, not seen for generations, a power like life itself. And that's literally all we know about it. Yeah, what does that mean? Yeah, but what it, whatever it means, it means that they can talk to each other like remotely through the Force and sort of see each other. And then in this movie, they can start to exchange items back and forth through the force, through some kind of force wormhole, I guess. And also that dead Emperor Palpatine can bring himself back to life even more by sucking the dyad off them. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, that's the... was the When you go through the movie, you can easily just sit there and enjoy it and let it all wash over you. And like I said, if this had been a standalone movie and they were like, oh, force dyad and this and that, I'd be like... 
oh, okay, uh, there's there's no other Star Wars universe, and this is the first thing I see, I'm like, I, I can just accept that as part of this universe. But the fact that there's like 15 other movies and comic books and, and novels and well, nothing Well, not only is... is there a whole other Star Wars universe, but this one was marketed as being the big, like, be-all, end-all of all of them. Everything was supposed to be coming to this point. Yeah. Right? This is, like, this is the survivors of, like, marching to the Black Gate. This is Aragorn... Like, like, this is it. We're all going to throw ourselves, our lives away on this one chance to help Frodo get the ring into Mount Doom. Like, that's what this should have been. And instead, it was just all this random stuff. And I, I can't help but wonder if part of the reason why it's so frenetic is because even they knew that none of this makes any sense. So we just need to keep the audience excited and distracted. Well, I think this is the problem of having a release date before you have a script. Like, once you set a release date for when this movie has to come out, then... That puts timelines timelines on everything else. So they had to have concepts and ideas done like a year in advance just so they could start building sets and, and constructing the CG effects that they were going to do. And so once those things are set in stone, you're like, well, now I have to build these set pieces or build reasons for this to happen. And it's it's like it feels so forced, every part of it. No pun intended. No pun intended. And, and like, Lando, bringing Lando back just because people were like, yeah, we want Lando. And God bless him. It was great seeing him again. But what purpose did he serve? Yeah, a lot of people in the movie didn't actually serve a purpose. You talk about that it's the fault of timelines, but compare this to something like the last few movies in the MCU. Right? Like, they were, yeah. able, to, they were able to build a through line through 23 movies perfectly successfully. I mean, it's clear they didn't know everything that was going to happen when they wrote Iron Man, but every single plot point in that cinematic universe follows. Yeah, and and I think part of that, and maybe I'm I'm giving more credit than he deserves, but Kevin Feige and his team seem to have a real strong guiding hand on the rudder, and... It seems like with these movies, it started off as J.J., and then he left, and it was going to be up to Ryan Johnson, and then he took the baton and did his thing with it, love it or hate it. He, he followed the lead that was set for him, and then there was going to be another director, and then he got fired, and then they brought J.J. back, and J.J. seems to be like, well, I had all these ideas for how I wanted this to end, but I passed that baton, and now... I'm still going to do those same ideas I had, but now I have to jury-rig two movies' worth of information into this last one. Yeah, no, we felt the same way. It's like he just wanted to ignore what Ryan Johnson had did and force everything back. I mean, even just like, how much symbolism was in destroying the lightsaber in Last Jedi, and in this one, we just we basically we see it with a piece of masking tape around it, and oh, it works again. Yeah, and there's... there's I was reading recently the symbolism of the... the uh, Luke's X-Wing being in the water like there's a lot that is said there about why like it's destroyed in Last Jedi it doesn't work there's like the there's it's there to purposely show he he sunk it he was done with it because he's not leaving this planet and then this movie just raises it up and it's ready to go you know all it took was taking it out of the water and, and she's able to fly it which to be fair I really enjoyed I enjoyed I, it too like I was watching it and especially when they're like oh Red 5 we're getting this message from Luke I was like man the I'm getting emotional about seeing this X-Wing again. Uh, just seeing Luke lift, force lifted out of the water, you know, the way Yoda did, and having that be kind of like the capstone to his character development, I loved that. I thought that was great. I mean, it was, I mean, you're right. The symbolism of it is a clear way of saying, like, all that stuff we talked about moving on, none of that matters. We're stuck in the past again. Yeah. But that didn't make it any worse of a scene. I mean, and and Ray when she's flying it, like now she's finally flying an X-wing and she has his old helmet, and it's a callback to Enforce Awakens when she's sitting in the desert wearing the Rebel pilot helmet and just looking out, you yeah. know, into her imagination. Like that was really well done. I don't want to knock it. I agree. I agree, but it, you know, it it feels like we should but be yeah. looking for it. I mean, the, the other thing about this and the, the idea of patterns repeating, like Force Awakens is so much a new hope, and there's a lot of this that can you can see mirrors of Return of the Jedi with, but at the end of the movie, when the First Order or Final Order or whatever we're calling it is getting destroyed and they're all falling out of the sky, and there's literally a shot where there's like a downed Star Destroyer from the last war against the Empire and now another Star Destroyer going down next to it. It's like, well... 
who's to say that it's not just going to happen again? Like, like the repetitiveness of it takes any sense of victory out of that ending for me. Yeah, there was there was a serious attempt at making an incredibly epic moment there. When Poe flies, when he hears Lando on the radio and he flies around and sees that the whole galaxy has somehow rallied to Exegol in like 15 minutes, they wanted that to have the same reaction that we had in Endgame when everyone shows up out of the portals to fight Thanos. But it was so hollow. Yeah, and it's like, like other than Lando, Wedge, and... Chewy, it's like who are these people? Like I, I don't care who they are. It's not the. It, there's no way it can have the same resonance. Yeah. Okay. So we've gotten off uh, sort of under the wild, <laughs> complaining a bit again. Uh so so uh, Palpatine's back, and there's a lot to dislike about Palpatine being back. But Ian McDermott is not one of them. He chews every inch of scenery he can get his teeth on in that in this role, and I love it, and I want to see more of it. So I'm glad he was back for that aspect uh, I wish they had never brought Palpatine back but man it's great seeing that actor again yeah I, I go through this in steps it's like I wish that he wasn't back I wish they did their own story but if he had to be back I wish they laid the groundwork across the entire trilogy yes. if like at the end of Force Awakens there was a hint of it and then at the end of Last Jedi we saw what was essentially the opening scene from this movie like, that would have been huge. And then this movie would have really have justified his presence. So if they had to bring him back, I wish they did it that way. And if they didn't do it that way, I wish they did a better job of it in this movie. Because he deserves it. I mean, Star Wars at the end of the day, as much as you can talk about how great and epic storytelling it is, it's a fun, it's an adventure movie. You know? Like, yeah. it's not a serious bit. And he is the perfect actor for the perfect villain for this universe. Yeah, I mean, really, when I think about the the prequel trilogy, there's a lot to dislike about that, too. But again, he steals every scene he's in. And it's like, it's so weird that this is really his only role of note in his career that I can think of. He's, he's like a butler in Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, and that's it. And yet, he's so good as this bad guy. Yeah, there's a certain gravitas and a certain dr operatic drama to him. And that every little thing he says and does has so much weight to it that, I mean, you wouldn't buy it in any other movie. Like, he wouldn't be able to play a villain in, like, a 20th century setting at all. I, I, I think you're cutting him too, too little slack. I think he could do it. I have all the respect in the world for Mr. McDermott. I, I mean, listen, I, he's great. His presentation is great. But, I mean, again, okay, this isn't, maybe this is, you're right. Maybe I'm putting too much on the actor here, working with the writing. But the character, then, of Palpatine is just so over the top yeah. and so weighed down by this is the bad guy. Like, that performance, I guess, wouldn't work in where usually characters have to be more nuanced. So having him back, like, it was great to see him. We really like him. Like, like that's... that's but at the same time, it sort of felt like pandering. Oh, yeah, 100%. Like, there's there's no reason Palpatine should be in this movie. It, it doesn't make a lick of sense in the way they reintroduce him. Like, if you haven't seen any trailers for the movie, and yet you've seen all the other movies, and you come into this, and all of a sudden Palpatine's back, and he's it's revealed that he's resurrected the opening crawl, and then he's just there. It's like, well, what happened at the end of Return of the Jedi? He gets he's thrown down a thing, and then the whole... Thing explodes. How is he here? It, it's yeah. so it undercuts everything. It makes it like if he can come back from that, then death doesn't matter in this universe. Well, not only does death not matter, but nothing Anakin did never mattered. Nothing right? Luke no did mattered. Yeah, because it just they just boot him up again. Apparently, but maybe not entirely because he still looks pretty dead, and he has to be hooked up to that machine. His Borg queen. Yeah, his Borg Queen lift no. until until you feed him a Force dyad, and then not only does he get better, but he gets cooler clothes. <laughs> yeah, with the red sleeves. Yeah. Ugh. But I, I will say that when he first appears on screen in this, and he's like missing fingers, and he's he's all like bloated and gnarly, I was like, that is it, as much as I don't want to see Palpatine. The makeup effect they did on him, the effects to make him look even more horrific than he did in Return of the Jedi, I was on board for that. It's a good look. Yeah, it makes him, like, to make him even more monstrous. Yeah, and then I know you had a problem with the strobe lighting thing, and if you think about it practically, the whole strobe light effect is 
dumb, but it gave a real cool 80s horror vibe to the whole scene that, that I really liked. But just imagine if then, I mean, again, they shouldn't have done it in this movie. They should have done it earlier. But imagine if they justified it. Imagine if they went, well, how can he be back? Let's look into it. Like, if there was just some extra meat on the table to say, like, okay, here's what happened. It's not really him. Or it's a clone and there's this. Or he uploaded himself into a computer. I don't care. It's Star Wars. Yeah, or, like, the one in in the original trilogy was a clone. Something like that. Something like that. Just give me something. But having people just roll with it? Yeah. Is insane. I can't think of... I can't think of another analogy... Like I can't think of another villain as important to the plot of its story. That hmm. were it were and were like, so even if I could, we're bringing that villain back, and you'd be saying, "What are you talking about?" Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's no way to compare. I, I guess it would be like Khan showing up at the end of Nemesis, and it turns out he was puppeteering Shinzon, and you're like, "Wait, why are you here? How did you survive that?" Or more importantly, if he showed up and he was puppeteering Shinzon and Picard goes, yeah, okay, yeah, let's fight Khan now. Yeah. <laughs> and your reaction would be, how does Picard even know who Khan is? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. Um, let's try and yep. be try more positive. So in addition to the three, yeah, in addition to the three characters, I also really liked Adam Driver's performance. Um, I think this movie had my favorite Kylo Ren in it of all the Kylo Ren. I've seen like, some interesting, some interesting takes on it where they point out like Vader's arc, like he starts off really powerful and in command, and then just kind of gets weaker and sadder, and like like just sort of loses himself. Whereas over the course of the sequel trilogy, like Kylo Ren starts off as this whiny emo nobody, and by by Rise of Skywalker, he's kind of kicking ass. Yeah, I will say though that that the, the, there's all these criticisms of Kylo Ren, especially in Force Awakens and, and Last Jedi, being a whiny character. and Or specifically, I've heard him referred to as a bad villain. And I take great exception to that. I think he's, like, a really interesting villain. Oh, yeah, don't get me wrong. I really like the character all the way through. Yeah. I yeah. My problems with him in this are, like, his redemption comes out of nowhere and uh, hold on hold on. Yeah, let's, right, but, sorry. Stay, pos- stay yeah, positive yeah, for now. Adam That's Driver's coming next. is very, very good in this. uh, He's very good. I bought the Kylo Ren all the way through. I loved it. And then his transition back into Ben. Um, I thought a disservice was done to this movie that we didn't spend more time with him once he's finally switched back. Because what limited time he has on the screen are actually, like, he does a really good job of sort of, like, channeling Harrison Ford into a bunch of things. Yeah. He's got, like, the cocky grin and the attitude and the, you know, his shrug when he gets the the lightsaber through the dyad. Like, he, that performance is is so limited by time, but he takes, like, it shines through all the effort he put into making himself such a different character. Um, and I think that's really undervalued. People do not give him that much credit. Yeah, and I think if the movie had been split into two and we could have spent more time understanding how he was redeemed, why he was redeemed, all the stuff to do with Leia using some sort of force power to connect with him, what all that meant. Because in the movie, you're just like, okay, I guess this is happening now yeah, for some yeah, okay. reason. Yeah, let's let's fall back off there then. Sorry. Yeah, it's... So he has the lightsaber duel with with Rey, and it's the most boring lightsaber duel the the two of them have. I mean, across all three movies, which is a shame. Yeah. And then Leia says his name to him through the Force, and then Rey stabs him. Yeah. And now he's a good guy again. Which is like, there's a couple of moments in this where Rey does stuff that is very bad, and nothing comes of it. Like, I mean, but this isn't even on Ray. This is on the movie makers. Like, I've I've been over this a lot. If instead of turning back to the light side of becoming Ben, he just died there. Yeah, the movie doesn't change. But but it's also like, well, it does change in some ways. Like the, he brings her back to life with his his sexy kisses at, at the end of the movie, and they have the forced dyad moment. There, the way the movie is currently structured, you can't do all that stuff without him. 
but the actual like the events like if you were like if you were a historian writing what happened next like yeah i guess that by coming back he's able to save ray but they could write that in like she could miraculously survive and be fine because we don't really understand why she died anyway yeah nothing seems to happen to her she just sort of falls down and dies right i mean so yeah if if Be- if kylo ren dies and Rey goes to Exegol and but, but fights. the bad thing that Rey does there is like he's he's left him an opening. Like he's he's clearly not he's stopped fighting. I know it's only for a second, but she stabs him when it's like it doesn't feel like a moment of self defense or something. It felt more like murder. Oh yeah, but that's I mean I buy that because this whole movie Rey, it's like is Rey going to go to the dark side because she's a Palpatine now? But but right, but that's what happens. She's never really tempted. Well, but she shoot like you know, it's she shoots the lightning out of th- and when she um, but she shoots he- the lightning and nothing comes of it. Like Chewie doesn't die. They're like, well, Whoa, yeah, Ray shot some lightning, and then and they that, forget. But about focusing it. specifically on what's happening to Ray, like yeah, that was a stupid plot point with bringing Chewbacca, uh, killing, bring him back. But what happens to Ray is there like he had, she has a conversation with Finn where he's like, you know, he killed my mother, he killed my father, I'm going to kill him. Yeah. And Finn sort of gives her, like, the, whoa, hey, by the way, like, you know, I'm on the light side now, so I know that's not the right talk. And then later, when she finds the, um, when she's on the second Death Star ruins, and she finds the Wayfinder, and she's pretty hostile to him, and Adam Driver gives her the whole, see, this is all dark side shit you're doing, listen to you threatening me. Like, that is there. I guess so. It just feels like it doesn't amount to much. No, it doesn't, because we know that she's going to overcome it, of course. And because none of us really buy this whole, well, maybe she'll fall to the dark side just because she's a Palpatine. Because, A, that's dumb, that's not how that works, and B, she clearly was not a Palpatine for the last two movies. Yeah, yeah, there was no hint of this previously. She was so pure, Snow White good in the last two movies, it's kind of hard to buy any of it. In this and one. it's very strongly implied that she is not like what member of these dynasties. Yeah, that she's just a person. She's just a good person. That's clearly where this was going. And then at some point in between those two movies, she got rewritten. I mean, it, it's just it's that might be the most obvious retcon of this entire thing. Is they mm-hmm. just decided to change her heritage now, and the message of the last couple of movies is completely flushed down the toilet. Yeah. Uh, all right. Let's let's try and end on some positive stuff. Uh, what what end? I've got like Bo. We're we're <laughs> we're at forty minutes. Yeah, almost. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I I look. It was. I know. Yeah. Even as I say, let's let's end on a positive note. I know we're still going to be talking for another twenty minutes about this stuff because we can't seem to help ourselves. Uh, but. Babu Frick, as far as, like, a weird additional side character, has captured people's hearts in a way that wasn't rivaled until uh, Baby Yoda. Yeah, no, ba- Babu Frick is pretty good. He's pretty funny. Helps bounce off 3PO. Dio uh, seems like just a creation to make a, a new toy, but I, I liked his personality. I like how he's set apart from R2 and BB-8 and, and C-3PO. He's kind of like a damaged goods droid. <laughs> <laughs> that's. I feel like that's probably pejorative, but you're not wrong. <laughs> uh, what else? Uh, Richard E. Uh, Grant I, is a, a good villain, but I wish he'd been in the previous two movies to make any sense out of his existence in this one. Yeah, apparently some of that is explained at the Star Wars experience in Disneyland. I mean, um, Hux, I'm so tired of that. It's like, yeah. if it's not in the movie, it doesn't count. I agree with you. Like, the, the whole of the dead speak thing, apparently, like, we never hear the message in the movie. Apparently, it's a big plot point. That happened in Fortnite. Yeah, you know, that classic thing that all our Star Wars fans are, are known for uh, obsessing over. Yeah. But cool stuff. Good stuff. Um, the conversation between Ben and Han. I mean, I didn't like that the conversation happened, <laughs> but it ends on that note where he said, like, he says, Dad, and he's choked up and he can't finish the sentence, and Han says, I know. Classic. A very Which, nice callback. Very nice callback. And again, and the performance completely sold it. That was heartbreaking. I, I loved it. Mm-hmm. Can't go wrong with more Harrison Ford. That's true. Well, again, I kind of <laughs> wish that conversation didn't happen. It's, 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 weird to, it's weird to have a character talk to a memory of a dead person in a world where there are actually ghosts. Now, you've read a lot more of the behind-the-scenes stuff and the expanded universe stuff. Is that what that is? He's talking that's, to a memory? He's Yeah, that's that's all in his head. Okay. 
as opposed to all the other dead people who constantly <laughs> remanifest as ghosts. So right. It's like, yeah, like they. Uh, I mean, again, trying to stay positive, but let me do one one more detour here. Uh, as much as I liked seeing Carrie Fisher again. It felt so ham-fisted, like, just cramming in old footage of her and having her say, I know, or something, and then having a character be like, well, I know you know, but did you know this? And explain a whole bunch of stuff to a silent cardboard cutout. And even the cinematography falls apart there. Like it, it just goes into this, like this, like this back and forth one shot, which is the only time they ever do it in any of these movies. Yeah, because it's the most boring way to film a conversation. Yeah, and and it's like I like the idea of it, but you know, right around it, man, like it doesn't work. I just, I mean, I, I mean, she passed away, and I also hate that she couldn't be in this movie as much, but. Honestly, I think the way you do that right is you start this movie with Leia's funeral. I don't like I don't think you take what little bits of scrap you have and try to bend everything else around it. I think you have to accept the fact that she's not here for this and move on. Yeah, or right. I I don't know. I don't know. Have her be in hiding to save her or something. I don't know. I I, I don't know how you do it, but this wasn't it and I wish they had seen that as they were doing the writing around what they already had and like this isn't going to work I don't think they would like they were capable of seeing it I think the worship out there for Carrie Fisher I mean most of it deserved yeah but I, I don't think they could see past that and so what do you make of the new information that that Leia was a Jedi master who rivaled Luke in lightsabering and and then just sort of retired because she was afraid of how powerful she was or whatever yeah. that is I hated that. I think that took away from her in at least two different ways. Like, first, it reestablishes that the only way to be important in this universe is to be a Jedi, which is, I hate that message. Like, like yeah. I liked that Leia was important and cool without having force powers and fucking choreographed fencing lessons. Um, and I also think it took away from her because it, it, it doesn't make any sense. Like, where the heck was she? If she was a Jedi master this entire time... It doesn't make any sense. Why Why wouldn't she have tried to train her own son? Why wouldn't she have been with Luke on his Jedi journey, vision quest, whatever? Why wouldn't she... Like, we, we know what Jedi are like and what they do. And like she trained all the way up and just decided to switch it off for a while and then switch it back on again off camera is one of those things where the, 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 it doesn't fit together. Yeah, yeah. It's I, I like the idea behind it because other than Rey, there hasn't been a lot of on-screen powerful female Jedis in the movies and it's it's like a nice touch and a way to make Carrie Fisher's character even cooler but it again feels just ham-fisted feels like uh, it was tacked on just because yeah. there's no yeah, story Carrie reason Fisher's, for it. Yeah, Princess Leia is already cool. Yeah. She didn't need a lightsaber to be cool. Do we want to talk about Rey's lightsaber? I wish. I mean, I don't know anything about it. She only pulls it out for one scene at the end of the movie. And and for no reason. Like For no reason. She, it's yeah. like she's like, oh, by the way, audience, here's a lightsaber. Now I'm turning it off again. Yeah, and now my whole saga is over. Yeah. No more adventures with me, even though now I've got this lightsaber stick. And that's... God, I mean, you know what? I think it is the right decision to be done with that character. But man, I really like where she ended up. You know, seeing her doing, you know, doing the training with Leia, where now she's pretty awesome with the Force. I liked that a lot. I, I, just having her character develop to become like this is like a cool, powerful Jedi Knight. I was really into that. I would have loved to see more of it this time around. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it would have been nice for it to have been a coherent story from beginning to end so we could have seen that evolve but i don't know why they decided to do it this way like like just plan out a trilogy from day 1 and instead of just doing this baton handing that seemed to have happened from movie to movie to movie yeah i think i wonder if that's sort of more reasonable in an older method of filmmaking like I think the I think the Marvel movies, frankly, like we talked about last week, how they've changed filmmaking for decades to come. I think one of the things they changed was showing like the the depth to which you can have a creative through line. Like I'm wondering if you watched you know the first few Fast and the Furious movies or 
like any basically any series of movies that wasn't already based on a book i bet there's probably things about storylines that don't quite fit because i don't think it mattered as much back then yeah and i mean fast and the furious is is essentially a soap opera so it, it doesn't it's not trying to be you know high art or or even like great storytelling they're trying to it's like a a, a soap opera that happens to have incredible action scenes and and funny moments whereas this is trying to be something more like there's there's supposed to be a stronger storytelling angle in this this franchise from right from the day day one where george lucas said that he had this whole trilogy planned out from the get-go and he had the prequel trilogy in his head and the sequel trilogy in his head and now whether or not that's true is up for debate a hundred percent but i think that the original trilogy works together very well and there's like a continuous storyline and it it makes sense from movie to movie to movie and say what you will about the prequel trilogy i I never thought i'd end up coming to its defense in any way but it's clearly one vision from movie to movie to movie like there's there's a consistency to it it's terrible and it's really poorly written but there's a consistency to it these this trilogy has none of that yeah it's it's three separate adventures and you don't even necessarily feel like they're the same i mean they're clearly the same characters because they have the same actors and the same names but you don't feel like there's a through line you don't feel like it's the same person except it's not supposed to be three separate adventures it's supposed to be right like one continuous thing if it had just been these are our heroes and this is a new adventure for them each movie i would have been on board for that yeah if they did it like indiana jones yeah Right, and this one he's raiding a lost ark, and this one he's finding the Holy Grail. Yeah, like there doesn't need to be a consistency through them. And yet, taken away, I mean, I saw the movie twice in theaters, and I've seen it twice at home now, and I still like it. I mean, I, it's not my favorite Star Wars movie, but like if you know, if I'm watching through Star Wars, like I'll put it on and I'll sit and I'll watch it. And frankly, I can see myself watching this one more than watching Last Jedi. Yeah. So some of my favorite scenes in Last Jedi are better than any scene in this movie. But Last Jedi, I, I fast forward through bits. This one, I will sit and watch the whole thing, and I will still enjoy myself. So. I guess this is a case of that we're extra nitpicky because we're so especially passionate of the material that even the small stuff bothers us. I mean, listen, I haven't gotten to the small, small stuff. But like, you, you want to give they, us a taste? Uh, like, like when they attack Exegol, Pri- General Pride tells them, use the ion cannons, and they don't shoot ion cannons. Well, it's maybe like, ion cannons have just changed since we last saw them. Well, but th- but they haven't, because they're using <laughs> turbo lasers, which are exactly the same. They haven't changed at all. And it begs the question, why wouldn't he have just said fire? Right. Like, why go to all the extra effort to name the piece of technology if you don't know what it is? Like, like that's a nitpick, right? Like, that doesn't affect the movie in any way. That's just for fanatics like me who want to believe that these aren't a series of movies, but like a historical retelling of my imagination and what happens next in there that I wish I was instead of here. <laughs> you know, in isolation or otherwise. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, let's wrap up and and maybe do something that we uh, haven't had much cause to do before and and read some some listener mail. Yeah, yeah, as much as we were questionable about the passion we gave to Star Wars, everybody is passionate about Marvel. And when last week and the week before we came up with objectively the list, like the (laughs) rankings... For all time and all history of what you know, are the best Marvel movies, uh, generated a lot of feedback. Yeah, and and we'll probably get more as the uh, as the weeks go on. We we may pop in and out of of this conversation. I mean, hell, we we just like reading mail from people. We want more mail. Uh, but for now, uh, Dave Clark, a uh, a good friend and a former guest on Geek Top 5, he sent his full list of the 23 movies. I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but uh, his number one, two, and three are Winter Soldier, the second Captain America movie, Infinity War, and Endgame. So pretty solid picks. Yeah, he put Winter Soldier higher than we did. What were our like little lower ones? I guess it was Thor Ragnarok. We we had higher up on there. Yeah, we had Ragnarok uh, fourth in our okay. joint list. Uh, Winter Soldier we had an eighth. So yeah, fair enough. 
Um, what else did we get? Let's see. I got a, I got a list from our friend Peter, who hasn't been on the show. Um, the case he essentially wanted to make was that he had Endgame at number one, Iron Man at number two, and Ragnarok at three. Interesting. Um, and he wrote in that he sees Iron Man and Endgame that is perfectly watchable back to back in the sense that they're an alpha and omega of Tony Stark's story. Wow. Yeah. And that, you That's know, he and take. Yeah. And that um, he could watch Iron Man over and over and he thinks it means so much more now having seen Endgame, like specifically focusing on the story of Iron Man and Tony Stark. That, Interesting. That, that Beckett really works and how it all revolves sort of around him. I thought that was a cool take. Uh, our friend Brad, who has also been on the show before, he uh, is, he teased that he's going to send me a list, but I haven't got it yet. But he did uh, feel especially outraged that we didn't mention how Iron Man saved Robert Downey Jr.'s career, which I think is a slight exaggeration, but not as much as you'd think. And, and I think it's, it's important to note that, uh, you know, Iron Man made Robert Downey Jr. one of the most successful actors of the last 10 years from a financial standpoint. Yeah, I think we were focusing more in-universe than out-universe. Yeah, we haven't really talked about any of the actors or actresses and how they it's, you know, how their lives have been affected <laughs> by being in the MCU. But, I mean, to be fair, that is a fun come-from-behind story, and it sort of mirrors Tony Stark's journey in a Very way. Very much so. Um, <laughs> we got, got some feedback from Sonica, um, who was thrilled that we had Thor Ragnarok so high up on the list. I mentioned that I listen to I watch Ragnarok when I'm particularly down. I need cheering up. She does the same thing with that and Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1. And I think it's interesting. We sort of touched on that, but didn't get into too much detail. Uh, but essentially that the in terms of the setting, the cosmic setting of both, they're definitely similar, right? They both take place off of the Earth and in, with Marvel's goofier alien stuff. But they're also really similar in terms of storytelling and in the comedy they present. Mm-hmm. And I, I suppose we're not the only ones who felt that way because we see at the end of Endgame, it's teased pretty much that like you know the, the next Thor movie and the next Guardians of the Galaxy movie are basically the same movie. We'll see what ends up happening, but that's certainly what was teased. And it's also interesting to note that when James Gunn was briefly fired from Guardians of the Galaxy 3, everyone seemed to think that Taika Waititi, the director of Thor Ragnarok, should come on board and do that third installment. And hopefully play Korg. And hopefully play Korg. <laughs> yeah, in a starring role. So that's a sampling of some of the feedback we've gotten so far, and I'm sure there's more to come. I mean, now that more people are sending us all the stuff about how they feel about the Marvel movies, I'm sure now we're about to hear from the folks who are, you know, have things to say about Star Wars. Um, I, I'm sure there are people out there who liked Rise of Skywalker more than we did, and I know there's been a huge revolution in, I mean, I call them prequel apologists, but people who are very pro the prequel era these days. Um, so if you have something you want to say and you want us to t tell the audience, uh, you can let us know. Uh, Graham, how can they contact us? Ideally, we would take it at our email address, geektop5 at gmail.com. But we've also got our Facebook page, facebook.com slash geektop5. And we're on Twitter at geektop5. And now you can find us on all your different podcatchers. And uh, if, if you would like to send us a comment through that, we would also gladly accept them there. That's it for Geek Top 5 this week. Uh, special thanks go out to Jamie Ryum, the guy behind our theme song. And uh, we'll be back to talk to you again next week. Until then, I'm Jesse. I'm Graham. And this has been Geek Top 5. We'll talk to you again soon.